Listeners, uh, we apologize for the delay. We are, it's just me and Jess today. Jess, how are you? Uh, busy. Just, uh, weather's all over the place. Um, feeling good, but just, just a little busy. That's like with work stuff, work stuff. And, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like my dog is getting a little older. She's slowing down. Oh, no. So yeah, yeah, you know, it's hard to see, you know, like I had her since she was a puppy yeah. and it just sucks to see her get old. You know, there was a, there's a, there's like, you know, the uh, the old dog sleeping by the fire, it's really nice. But, you mm-hmm. know, you just kind of get reminded that time still passes on. So, t- yeah, you know, time still keeps ticking, you know. So yeah. it's, it's just hard to see. So vet uh, organizing vet stuff and all that. It's just it's not fun. No, I hear you. Well, I, you know, I relate. Right. Like yeah. I, <laughs> like personally, uh, I'm also yeah. getting older myself but um, yeah i mean it's, yeah, like, it's, not it's just no the longer dogs. just an unending stream of good news like when you were a kid you know <laughs> the doctor would always just like oh man you know everything's everything's firing on all cylinders and going to the doctor was just like good news but now it's like every time i go it's it's just you're like mm-hmm. yeah here. or it's like you're doing good yeah. for your age all things considered, yeah. <laughs> it's like you're gonna want to watch this. You're gonna want to f- watch this. Going like, forward. oh god, so it doesn't get like worse. It's that Louis C.K. Yeah. bit, right, where he goes mm-hmm. to the doctor about his shoulder, and the doctor's just like, "Yeah, man, your shoulder's just shitty now. It's yeah, it not gonna sucks. get better. It's just shitty. Yeah. Um, like at best, you're just preserving. You're desperately trying to hang on to what you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah." I, you know, when I first heard that, I laughed because I thought I knew because like I had like carpal tunnel syndrome as a teenager, right? Like Ooh, I thought I knew what he was talking about when he's like, oh, yeah, your, your shoulders is shitty now, you know, uh-huh. and then like it's been like 10 years and like now I, 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 I get it at a deeper level and like afraid to know just how more like deeply I will come to learn that in the coming yeah. decades. Yeah. 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 Yep. All right. All right. Enough of this depressing shit. Uh we, on, to, on to the other depressing shit, the main depressing shit. The talk. main depressing shit. Um, okay, well, we should start by saying the reason we are late is because, not because we've been neglecting plan A, but because we've been actually uh, doing a lot more. We did, you know, we had a big meeting over the weekend and we've been thinking about ways to deploy, uh, you know, the little bit of capital, I'd say, that has financial capital that we've managed to accumulate over the years, which is not a significant sum, but it's not an insignificant sum either. And every penny um, that is from our listeners. So to all of you guys supporting, listening, thank you guys. Uh, your support means, means a lot. And we're really taking it seriously. Um, what to do with the, uh, what to do with the support you've, sh- you've shown us over the years. Yeah. We're not blowing it on stakes and uh, vacations. Okay. We're, we're deploying this in a way that I think is, <laughs> consistent with like our quote mission or it's consistent with what we've been about trying to be about this whole time. And uh, it's very initial stages as to what we're planning. And uh, so I don't know if we can say much about it yet other than uh, I think people, I think people who have kicked into the Patreon so generously over the years would, uh, would be happy about what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's very much in line with the principles, at least that we've been espousing over the years. Yeah. So I, I know, I know when I first when I first heard the the pitch, 
I was super excited. You know, I thought like it was it was a moment of clarity. It's like, yes, this is mm. absolutely where this needs to go. So I know we're mm. being a little opaque about it. We'll be more transparent as the time gets closer. But suffice it to say, I'm really excited at least. Uh, I think yeah. we're all we're all super jazzed. Yeah. And this would not be possible without without the listeners and the supporters. Yes. So we are late because we've been doing work, not because we've been shirking. Um, but that said, I don't have a lot. We don't, you know, we're kind of like rushing this episode out. Usually we have like, you know, a nice outline, a plan for this. But since we've everyone's been kind of focusing on this other thing, uh, this one might be a little rushed. But Jess and I, we've had this ongoing sort of chat uh, in Discord, and we've always been sort of circling this. I don't even know if it's a topic, but this theme, and I don't know how to quite. I don't know if, if it was quite pod ready at that time, but I'm trying to. I'm trying to articulate what exactly it is we're talking about because it seemed to involve the nexus between sort of assimilation and family relationships. And sort of like the, the 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 way that assimilating into America uh, seems to corrode family bonds rather yeah, than yeah. strengthen them. Yeah, I think that's one of the meta narratives behind our criticism of uh, like the boba liberal narratives out there, the stinky lunch genre particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've done those to death. We've talked about the, you know, how how we our opinion on those pieces is not is not what we're talking about today. Just one of the meta narratives that it's driving is that it's 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 creating a wedge or portraying a, a so called what portraying a wedge between uh, like more assimilated children of immigrants and their immigrant uh, families. Right. It's a, yes. it's kind of cultivating a feeling of distance and encouraging it, honestly, by by and it it's wrapped in really progressive sounding language like radical honesty or transparency or, you know, illuminating the the lived experiences of, you know, second generation children of immigrants and all of, and many things can be true about this at the same time. It can be both true to your lived experience but also a consequence of it being platformed and disseminated and absorbed into the uh, the social ether that we are all in is uh, is kind of normalizing and legitimizing the social distance and social and personal distance that we are supposed to feel with our, our people of our parents generation people our families our mm. home cultures yeah and you could i mean you could uh i think people who like you and I both have a lot of relatives in um, where well, you you in Korea, me in, in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I, I, I sense this difference. Yeah. I mean, uh, sorry to jump mm-hmm. in, but like, yeah, like sure. I'm the only one in either on either of my mom's or my dad's side of the family that came here. I, uh, I think. Right, right, right. So yeah. like my mom has three siblings. My dad has four. The, mm-hmm. Like the majority of the family is Korean. Right. It's just mm-hmm. me and my brother out here in, in California kind of doing our own thing here. Um, so the wayward American branch. Of the yeah, because yeah, yeah, because my parents were these were these wayward communists in uh, in college. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go to America, land of the free. We can definitely fly the red flag. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, man, <laughs> you guys. OK, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, <laughs> like, 
they're free. I mean, there, there may be some some sort of truth to that. I don't know. I uh, mean, they were they were bla- well, they were blacklisted in Korea, right, for right, their student right. protesting, mm-hmm. um, and then they got a really sweet offer from from UCLA, like a, a couple mm-hmm. of American universities, actually, um, a really really sweetheart deal to come do their graduate studies and then and then build their careers here. Um, like th- th- there was almost no way there was like no alternative, and it was it was a really good you know a really good choice for them mm-hmm. to make um so when i'm saying like like creating a distance like i absolutely do feel that distance right between like me us like our lonely little thanksgiving thanksgivings here as a little family of four in california and then like the like the 50 odd people uh that you know that are in the extended family all back in Korea, right? So I do feel that distance. But when so when I'm criticizing like these these stories here, it's not really about a longing to feel closer to the mother country or to your family that's back that's back quote in the homeland or anything. You're supposed to feel alienated from your own parents. You're supposed to find commonality with other people who have shared this rather slim uh, subset of experiences that you claim to have had. Wait, are you talking about specifically Asian American stories? Or are you talking about America generally? When, uh, when, you talk, when you're saying these, stories I think America that... generally. I think this is kind of a problem with the youth-oriented culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, to have a culture that's driven primarily by the uh, the baser instincts of very young people. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the to have like the bulk of like cult the cultural like world revolving around them, um, yeah. it's it is kind of antithetical to the formation of a strong like so like familial or social cohesion, because yeah. these how I mean, it's that's not necessarily a criticism because how would you expect people like that? Why would they care about that? Why would you expect them to care about that? They don't, they they wouldn't right. But making them the the cultural heart of a society is uh, is decadent and disruptive in a sense. Yeah, though, I, I mean, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I would say that in my experience going back to visit family in Asia, in Taiwan, uh, I did notice that there was a lot more intergenerational, like, relationships going on. Like, my cousins were in Taiwan were like much closer with their aunts and uncles and, and with, and, and my grandparents and their own parents. They, I, I guess they, they kind of like to ma- maintain a little, little separation from their parents, just like all teenagers or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Would. But still like, you know, this was the first time I ever saw it. Like if I was hanging out with my aunt, like they would just get calls from my uncle or uh, from my cousins yeah, just to, just to talk or, you know, and, and uh, I don't know how, I, that may have changed a bit over the over the decades, you know. Like I think that the sort of like modern nuclear isolation is starting to happen there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, I think we're way far ahead in terms of how isolated uh, we're expected to become. And I guess the thing that you and I were talking about is like I'm not sure that this is like progress, you know, like um, because. Uh, I think it is a distinctly like middle class idea that one should alienate themselves from their family, should want to escape the family, and just kind of be your own person. Engels uh, Engels talks about this, the formation of the family, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, specifically through the what lens of say? like women, but mm-hmm. basically, you know, the middle class—it's kind of an intellectual bourgeoisie, right? 
mm-hmm. um, to, to so, like a, re- a modern day replacement for the mercantile class, right? The the tradesmen, uh, business, the minor merchants, uh, people like that, right? That form the middle in like the pre-industrial evolution days. Mm. Now, like we all make our living based on stuff in our heads, right? More than the product of like, we don't work with our hands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing that needs to be that the thing that needs to be controlled is uh, our attitudes, what's in our heads, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the middle, the American middle class in in particular was mobilized, was supposed to be an extremely, I mean, Engels didn't talk about, you know, America, that wasn't his jam, or much less like, you know, American post-war America, right? That's not that's not his time. Um, this is just me going off on a on, on a tangent here. Um, to me, it seems like the American middle class kind of emerged in that post-war economy to be kind of a freelance intellectual class mm-hmm. that had to be ge- pretty geographically mobile, right? The nuclear family kind of emerged uh, to to kind of meet the needs of to kind of meet co- conflicting needs, right? You need labor to be kind of relatively mobile, so you needed stuff like engineers to be able to relocate to California, which had uh, which had to be built basically from scratch, like far, mm-hmm. like scrub and farmland into like like uh, aerospace and engine like engineering powerhouse um, cities almost overnight. Right? right, you needed a middle class to fill that, and then the new, so that's like it. So that's pr- primarily men, right? Young youngish men, many of them probably got educated on the GI Bill, and they needed to be deployed to to California to be engineers or scientists or or what have you. The nuclear family kind of formed around that labor need. It doesn't make sense as a family structure. So, like the wife of this engineer or this this you know intellectual post war worker. Um, is basically it has to hold down the fort for the for, on behalf of this this little family unit, right? Yeah, to um, to, tra- to in order to just basically chase the job, to chase the job, right? And mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. like if you're working a job like that, like your time is your time is constrained. You need to be earning money on behalf of everybody. So you know, gender roles got ossified uh, and really st- and you know pretty strict. Just by, almost by necessity from that labor need. This is why I don't really like talking about like quote patriarchy because it's it's a bit of chicken chicken and egg, right? Like what actually triggered this, and they're they're kind of co-constitutive. In my my thesis here is that there is an element of the labor needs of the new post-war economy driving this uh, set of presumptions about gender, about family, etc. And then here we are, we were like three generations out from that big experiment, and we're kind of seeing that's falling over. Yeah. Um, and we're all, I, I feel like a lot of the analysis of quote, the American family falls short because we don't go too far past the immediate post-war, uh, the post-war economy, right? We're, t- we're basically criticizing that, but we don't really go into stuff prior to that. But like in human history, this, this, that, the nuclear family being kind of isolated and ready to move wherever the job is, that's kind of new. That's yeah, the and I, I guess what I'm getting at is that there is um, uh, a belief, I think, that that is a marker of class ascension. Yeah, uh, which it is to an extent, right? It is, it, it is to an extent. But the interesting thing that I find is that actually, the step beyond that is is actually a return to family. Mm-hmm. Me- meaning, like, it, I think that a lot of the middle-class fan- fantasy is to 
actually reestablish the family bonds that were lost. And that is the ultimate uh, sort of luxury we have now, which I think explains in part the like extreme popularity of shows like Yellowstone or uh, Succession uh, that are about these like, or, or even something like, you know, back in the day, like Sopranos, these sort of like, uh, family sagas and like dramas that are all about, um, the way that, you know, extended family will vie for, you know, the power struggles and all this stuff. And the sort of drama of a family is something that people yearn for. Whereas, and I think I had, I had talked about this, you know, when, when we, when we did the, uh, pod about like my sister and that whole, the whole drama Mm -hmm. thing. I was saying like, you know, I realized that for most of my, for, for the past several, many years, maybe decades, I had no family drama. There was no, like, that was a dead series. There was no, there were no developments in that, in that, in that drama. (laughs) There was nothing Mm -hmm. going on. And I think, I, I wonder if that is a sort of a general problem of the middle class is like, there is no family drama. There's no, there's nothing at stake. So there's no. There's nothing happening. Everyone's just well, kind no of sort of like busy with their own shit. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone like goes their own see, direction. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very plausible in this day and age, right? For an adult child to be living on the opposite side of the country from their parents, uh, far away from any siblings that they have. Um, so you see each other like what? Once, maybe twice a year. That's yeah. that's a very plausible and probably likely scenario for a lot of people. And, and not only that, I- just it's, it's not just that that happens, but that that's, seen as at some stage a marker of success in the sense mm-hmm. that for example if you look at high school students right i mean the successful ones move far away from home mm-hmm. right they go far away from home they go to the opposite coast or they go to you know a totally different city uh to attend a prestigious college that's far away from home they get a job that's far, as far away from home as possible maybe even get a job overseas Mm-hmm. And the farther away from the nest you're able to go, the more uh, of a success it you're, I think you're seen as having compared to the person who never leaves the nest, who doesn't go far, far away for college, who mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, travel uh, a ton for work and has no time for, you know, and is not hanging out with mom and dad and, you know, busy seeing the uh, the cousins and the uncles, but is instead always trapped in meetings and zoom calls and business flights and all this stuff. That was in my experience that that was widely seen among my peers as a marker of success. The f- it, meaning the further, the more alienated you got from your family, the further away you got, the better off you must, the more you were seen to have achieved. I think this is a very, very old PR campaign, starting from like the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, honestly, mm-hmm. where like, you know, it was trying to be appealing to like, like farm kids, right? Come to the city. It's exciting. It's dynamic. Uh, you're not mm-hmm. going to be trapped mm-hmm. by these yokels at home. You know, um, you can make money, like especially for like women in particular, going to the city did mean a little bit more financial autonomy. You get a job in a factory or something, or you you earn your own wages. Not that this, being in a city didn't come with its own like risks and problems, but um, but it was seen as glamorous. It was a bit of autonomy and freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we still see that uh, filter percolating. This is just the the latest thread 
in a much, much older like PR campaign. Speaking of PR campaign, I mean, isn't the ultimate sort of like uh, uh, sort of the ultimate embodiment of this would be like a Don Draper. He does. He he he's oh, not yeah. even himself. He ran away from his actual identity and just mm-hmm. is a completely self made and I literally self made in the sense yeah. that he created his own constructed. Identity. He's a completely yeah. artificially constructed person. He mm-hmm. manifested Don Draper's persona basically into existence in New yeah. York City. Um, like this famed, uh, this famed capital for that kind of reinvention and rags to riches story. Yeah. Yeah. The remnants of his original identity are deeply hidden, are a source of deep shame. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I it, you know, it took me a while to fully understand, like, or to, to, to sort of like grasp that, that that was who he was. But, you know, after sort of thinking about this yeah like that that is the ultimate uh embodiment of sort of like the modern late 20th 21st century man mm-hmm. is someone who is no longer um is no longer entrapped by the circumstances uh of their birth which is like i'm part of this family this is my name this is my identity i completely escaped it and that's such a that's to me of uh, the sort of like the 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 start the precursor of middle class driving, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, and that's I think what you movie... need. Emplo- mm-hmm. like modern employers, this is what you actually need. You need to be ideologically kind of blank slated to be yeah. the ideal worker. You can't have ties that bind too deeply. First of all, you have to be physically ready to move, right? What happens if a company relocates and they can't find, you know, some part of, they have to be reassured that some part of their workforce can come with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's changing in an era of globalization, but, you know, like, uh, you need this worker to be fairly mobile. So you get a job offer, you live in I don't know, Pennsylvania and the job is in Texas, you better move right mm-hmm. um to be able to do that requires a kind of social effort to to break down ties that bind most people for most people that would be in a nat- in a more quote natural state it's probably going to be family ties like oh i'm sorry i can't take that job i I'm, my entire life is here i, I can't i can't i can't uh, what am i supposed to just uproot my life and move out to california are you crazy is it you, is it me or is it a distinctly american like thing in our culture and 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 in a way, I think a very white thing, uh, because I feel like if you look at, say, black culture, it's quite the opposite. But is it like a white American thing? Again, because I don't I don't detect this in Chinese culture to like just incessantly complain about being near your family and how like irritating your uncle is or problematic your your uncle is. Yeah, how, I think so. I think how exasperating it. your parents are. How family dinners, you know, family Thanksgiving is a fucking nightmare. And, you know, and and I'm not saying that, like, Americans actually hate being with family. But I am saying that if you look at especially sort of like upper middle class type media, uh, like, you know, all the, the spate of of my problematic Trump supporting uncle type articles that you see now, um there is a real animosity towards the idea of spending time with your family. It seems so cool. Like, look at even more friends. stressful than just being alone and, and being committed to your job. Yeah. 
No, I I totally believe that. I mean, one of the shows that, you know, I guess was kind of was going on when I was coming up, uh, Friends, right? Mm, Um, Really? Seinfeld, too. Uh, Look at the the relationships those characters had with their parents, their families. Mm. The parents are basically caricatures, right? They're they're kind of dis- disdained characters that you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed you as the audience, you're supposed to feel, you know, some kind of solidarity with the characters in uh, being exasperated, you know, frustrated, hating their parents, and wanting that distance from them. Mm-hmm. So the idea of being like the cool person is someone who co- goes to the big city in both these shows. It's New York City. And, you know, you're demonstrating how much higher up the social ladder you've gotten from your yokel parents. Yeah, because the closer George Costanza gets to his parent, like the physical proximity between him and his parents in Queens, the more like humiliation he suffers. Right. It is mm-hmm. like the stand. His parents are basically like the incarnation of his own personal humiliation, right? It's Frankenstein. It's it's a meme, right? And I don't know how, I don't, I haven't heard the equivalent in any other society. I don't, I'm not, I'm not exactly super cosmopolitan about this shit, but you know, um, like how often have you heard like, Oh God, I'm turning into my dad or, Oh my God, (laughs) this is something my aunt would do or my mom would do. And you're supposed Mm. to be like, Oh my God, that's horrible. How could you? It's seen as a sign of regression or that you didn't fully transcend your, your problematic, um, origins. Uh, you didn't fully manifest your unique snowflake, uh, uh, actualized self, and you're you're still carrying these traces of backwardness in you that are bubbling up. Now, if I understand what I think we're both trying to say, um, and because I, I want to move on to the notion of reconnecting with the family as the next, as a as the actual uh, sort of like next step of class ascension in our culture, which we're starting, I think, to see. Um, let's lay the groundwork for this for a sec, right? Uh, you know, I think that the notion that we ascend in society by abandoning family and entering into, um, the corporate world where relationships are dominated by commerce and, and, and promotions and, and all this stuff and and colleague relationships and, you know, starting a family with someone who is in a similar path, but starting a nuclear family with dual income and, you know, really not having much time for each other and all this, the hyper stressful modern family life that we see, I think there is starting to become a recognition that maybe the sacrifices are are too much. And there starts to be a yearning for people who have the luxury, the luxury of putting their family first, right? And uh, I think one movie, and that won't be a surprise to you because I've said this a lot to you on, on in, in private, is the movie Parasite, which I thought was fantastic on this point, which I didn't see a lot of critics mention or. or no, I think you're the only one. You're the only one that's picked up on this particular angle, but I think it's spot on. I think, because I think that it's very central to the movie. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, the, I, I think Bong Joon-ho was, like, explicitly making this point, and it's pretty obvious, is that the rich family, I think it's the Park family, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the Parks. The Park family is uh, uh, all about the family, 
the the family compound, paying attention, like doting on you know the mother doting on the uh, you know the 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 the, in, the interests of the children. Mm-hmm. You know, the father sort of being like, you know what, I'm going to skip work today and I'm just going to spend it with my son. Right. I'm going to throw him in this extravagant birthday party. And it's, you know, we're going to go, you know what, we're going to go on a, fam- you know, we're going to go camping trips together. And I think it's the, it was the Lee family. I forgot their last name, but the, um, the, the servant family that, has sort of wormed their way into their house as, um, as their, as their servants and their tutors and whatever, their driver, the cook. Um, not only are, is their family life subordinated to their job to, of serving the parks family, but they're not even allowed to like, let it be known that they're related. They have to hide the fact that they're, Related, which is like one of the core, uh, which is the core premise of the plot, is they they have to hide their family relations. That's the ultimate uh, sort of transgression is just to be related, mm. you know. And I think it really comes to um, uh, a sort of like yeah, because they're the servants. Your fa- servants aren't supposed to have family ties. You're, yeah, the whole of your social being is in is being labor for this this fam this real family. This real family, yeah. You are, you are sort of like honorary members of my family. Yeah, but you, you yourself are not to have your own interests in this relationship. Like correct in, in this relation. Yeah, yeah. You're an appendage of my family, though not like a core part of it. You're like the supports the supporting cast, but the my family is yeah. the family. You don't have a family. Your family is me and my family, right? And so the, the idea that you would even have your own family is transgressive and needs to be suppressed and hidden. And I think it comes to a climax, you know, where the, the Park family goes on, you know, like a weekend vacation. And at last, you know, I think it's the Lees. You know, I, I may be mm-hmm. wrong, but it, let's I just think call so. the Lees. Yeah. yeah, the Lees can finally just sit, you know, do the ultimate transgressive act which is to lounge about in the living room and act and talk like a family. Mm-hmm. And then when they, you know, when they sense, when they suddenly get the call that, you know, the, the, the Lee's vacation got cut short and they're coming back. Then there, it's like this whole huge scramble to like hide all of the evidence that they're a family, that they're related and go back to being just mere servants to, to the Lee's. And I think it even ends, they have to like hide under the couch and it's like this, it's a very, you know, it's done, like, he does a great job. The director does a great job of putting a lot of um, of tension into that scene where they're just, like, desperately trying to, to hide before the family comes home. Like, oh, yeah. they do something really bad. But think about, what were they doing? They were just hanging around in the living room just reminiscing about family memories. Like, you know mm-hmm. how the mom was, like, wasn't she in the, uh, like, an Olympic, like, uh, hammer thrower or something? like You know, something like that. Like, you know, just reminiscing about that time that they opened up a restaurant or, you know, all this stuff, all of that is just like basically illegal and mm-hmm. something that only the Lees should be doing. Uh, only the parks should be doing. Right. You know? and, and I thought that that was an unmistakable, to me, that was an unmistakable uh, premise. That was an unmistakable point in that movie that I thought was really great. And I thought maybe an Asian director, like a Korean director, might make might appreciate 
this point a little bit more at this moment in time in history than Americans are capable of doing. I don't know. What do you think? I, I mean, I think you're spot on on that one. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, once you once you once you've mentioned that, a lot of like seemingly unrelated threads just started coming together. Mm-hmm. Like, let's step out the realm of like media representation or or like what like so what's in the social ether or outside the lives of the upper and upper middle class, right? Like, what has been actually happening on the ground for the last say like I mean you could say twenty years, you could also say it's been happening for like sixty just as well right like family formation in the lower classes has fallen off a cliff right the majority of marriages formed are middle to upper class like by far have you seen mm. those statistics i have yes yeah, yeah I, like, no pe- sorry i've seen i've seen the stat that said that that college educated people are like almost exclusively marrying other college educated people, but I did not see the stat about family formation. Yeah, no, we're talking marriage I, that sounds in general. Correct. That sounds yeah, correct. Yeah, like if yeah, you if yeah. you take a survey of everyone who is getting married in a given year now, and you track that over time, you say that the, the people getting married getting married are richer and richer as time goes on. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And if you okay. look at people who make below, I think the threshold is like forty thousand uh, mm. US dollars a year. Wow. Uh-huh. The rate of marriage, uh, yeah. the rate of marriage just just almost disappears. Right, that's that's um, that's fucked up, but yeah, not shocking. Yeah, it's not shocking, and it, it, if mm. once you hear it, you're you're like, holy shit! Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, mm. Like like if there are children, they're happening. They're they're being born out of wedlock. Um, and it's, it's not a, it's not a race thing. I think a lot of, uh, like, I think a lot of cultural commentators want to focus on like race or something. This is mostly a class thing. It's, it's almost entirely dictated by how much money you make and how much money Mm. your partner makes. Mm -hmm. So you see this across the board, across all races, all all groups, uh, the lower your income, uh, the less likely you are to be married at all. Not even to like someone, uh, even to someone who is your like economic peer or something. And mm-hmm. of course, like like the gap, like uh, like class gap marriages have almost completely disappeared, because family formation is now a wealth generating tool. It's a, it's it's a family formation, but it's also kind of a proxy for wealth preservation and wealth creation. Wealth, cre- uh, yeah. Well, I think for most, this is my view, is, my experience, is that for the middle, I would consider myself like a middle class, right? Like you know, wage earner. Sure, it's like you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fortunate, but still just a working guy. Uh, that for people in my station in life, socioeconomically, that. Starting a family still is a very expensive burden. The 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 the, the state, the the society is not particularly encouraging, sending us a lot of support to start families. That you know the payoff is purely uh, subjective, meaning like it's like I it's something that I want. It's something that I feel like I need. But it's not something that I feel like society is encouraging me or assisting me in doing. And so I feel like there is a luxury aspect and uh, a sort of conspicuous aspect of having families these days. Kids are kind of like luxury items. 
I've, I'm not the first person to say this. No, I, I um, totally agree. And I, I, I hope mm-hmm. we get to that later on, too. Uh, mm-hmm. When I mean wealth creation, I'm, I'm not talking about like like fabulous, like building a dynasty or something. Right. Mm-hmm. I think from the term, like from the sociological perspective, of that marriage survey, what they meant by mar- like wealth creation was simply like um, the the wealth preserving benefits of just stability. Right. Being able to mm. be like consistently employed, not like the size of the paycheck doesn't matter in this case so much as a reliable paycheck. True. That is a big point. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Um, like there is a cost to instability in a person's life. Um, mm. Marriage tends to be uh, indicative of a stabilizer in that regard, especially marriage to someone of a similar class. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just uh, as a practical matter, like you live with someone, you split the bills, they bounce and then suddenly you get the entire, you know, the rent is all on you or something like that's instability that can take a toll on your finances. Right. So I think let's face it, you're a single you're a single guy Mm -hmm. and you really have no reason to save your paycheck up. You're you're just, you know, there you go. uh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, so I, that's what. So just to be specific, that's what they meant by uh, wealth creation. Like just just the ability to predict like where your money, like what kind of money is going to come in when. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for the interest of the middle class and upper, yeah, I absolutely agree that um, it, that family formation is is kind of a, it's kind of a flex. Mm-hmm. It's displaying how much how much stability you have. Like I how saw, much you can afford this yeah i saw an interview recently with um i forgot his name but like that Go- like some that google guy who got fired because he said that the ai was be- was a sentient being <laughs> or that we should think about the ethics of that thing uh-huh. and he's an interesting guy actually uh yeah, I know. and he said um he wasn't he wasn't nearly as loopy as the press coverage made him out to be i think they did him real dirty on that they did yeah yeah they did um and he, 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 I think he's a very, he's a pretty well-spoken guy. And he was saying that because I think the question to him in, in this interview was like, what's it really like to work at Google? You know? And he was like, oh, it's pretty fucked up. He was like, just leaving aside the corporate culture stuff. He was like, like Silicon Valley is just like, just, just fucking crazy. It's like a crazy place. It's absurd. He said, when we got there, you know, they would have like sort of like a more senior manager come and talk to them about how google works he was like they're gonna promote you if you do this uh or if you do that you won't get promoted if you don't do this you won't get promoted if you don't do that so you want to get promoted and he's like if you get promoted to this level okay that's when you can afford a house Mm -hmm. (laughs) meaning like going to google you know getting hired at google is nowhere close to you know, being able to start a house, to buy a house, you know, inside of which you can raise a family, you've got to get promoted several ranks up. And it was known, just known that you get, if you get to this level, this VP level or whatever it is, you know, that's PM the level, livable wage. At that's, yeah, that's the point at which you become like a man with like, a, yeah, with a, with an actual house. Like, you yeah, know, don't need to have roommates anymore. What, what? Yes. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, that that is a huge barrier to starting a family is if you can't yeah. afford a house, right? Like, you know, it's it's how, where are you going to raise the kids? Where are you going to, you know, where are you going to, you don't, and it's a stability thing, right? Like you don't have a claim on a plot. You don't feel rooted. You're living in, you're renting these like one bedroom apartments or whatever. And it's not, um, it's not the same as owning a plot of land with a homestead on it. And uh, yeah, I think, that in New York City, it's a similar thing. 
where, you know, what I was accustomed to growing up, just like a regular sort of like suburban life with, you know, two parents working and going to pretty decent schools and nothing spectacular, not a spectacular house, just a regular ass house in the burbs. Um, that's like a major like luxury marker now. Mm-hmm. If you can just afford like a regular suburban life, that's kind of a flex, mm-hmm. you know, especially like while in the New York area. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to say that, uh, there is, we're definitely in an era, I think, where the notion of having family has become luxury, you know, and I don't For a certain class of people, right? Uh, The part that uh, I got a little into the weeds off that, but when we're like the rate of marriage has fallen off a cliff, uh, the birth rate, uh, birth rates are still fairly high on the low Mm -hmm. end of the socioeconomic ladder here, right? So So out of wedlock births? Out of wedlock births, Mm -hmm. right? And again, this goes back to stability, right? If you like, when you're talking about stability, it's that's not about a dollar amount. It's about how predictable your life can be. Like yeah. at the low end, your life can be fairly stable. You kind of mm-hmm. get where you're going to be in five years. That is like all you need is really like stability to be able mm-hmm. to feel to be able to have the conditions to say have a family, right? Um, you can that stability can be relatively low in monetary terms, or it can be very high, right? But the the key point is just stability at that point. So you still see a high birth rate there. And you see, and you see a fairly robust, uh, like replace at least replacement level, um, birth rate in the upper, in the upper classes. It's this really precariously, precariously middle where it's it's cratering, and that's because it's just it's unstable. They make more money than the bottom, but it's an unstable existence. And then mm. when we're talking about like stepping outside the realm of like of like like uh, like citizens here. We have an explicit policy of separating children from their families at the border here. Mm-hmm. We have a we have an immigration policy that uh, selects for highly educated knowledge workers, but but only really them. We don't mm-hmm. really encourage fa- we don't really encourage anymore like families being brought over, and we make it very hard for them to get stability stable um, like to get a stable footing in the country when they get here, right? So the like there is a persistent um, fear, I would say, or like uh, shaming of mm-hmm. uh, of people of a certain type having families, having children in particular. Mm-hmm. Like there's a kind of disgust to it, right? You see it in the like you can you can if you look at like actual like white nationalist shit, or you know it's talking about like that that rhetoric of swarms of illegals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a fear that they come here and then they start multiplying and they'll just take everything over like parasites. Yeah. Right. There is a there's a very conspicuous uh, hatred for for allowing the kind of stable social conditions that would allow for healthy family formation. Oh, I see. There, there, there is a there. You're saying that we use policies uh, or we employ policies to undermine family stability uh in order to prevent their to to be this entrenched sort of you know undesirable class yeah and Uh, in the middle you see this pervasively in the liberal middle class too Mm -hmm. um and i want to be very very careful with my language here because uh 
this is a, this is a potentially very tricky subject, but this is talking about like the traditional like mainline like Democrat line mm-hmm. on abortion, right? We that recently came under came under scrutiny with the basically repeal of Roe v. Wade. Um, and you see, and so you see a, a renewed wave of this this rhetoric. Um, and mind you, like bodily autonomy is is an absolute hard line. I am not I am not interested in discuss. It, that's not under discussion here. Sure. I am absolutely not not. Uh, Meaning, <laughs> you're 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 regretful. You you are not happy that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And, yeah, I'm, and I yeah. am very much like a, per, a a person, a woman, whoever has to have the final say on on what goes on with their body. That's right. just. That's just it, mm-hmm. right? I'm not talking about that. I am talking about the uh, the social rhetoric around the subject. You see a whole new wave, uh, which is most. That. You're talking about sort of like a like sort of an urban liberal rhetoric. Yeah. So you see a lot mm-hmm. of people writing, you know, writing comments, talk, sharing about sharing their stories with abortion, or like a lot of people were talking like. I remember reading a lot about you know like how abortion saved my life or something like. Um, I'm going a little out. Let me let me regroup for a second here. Um, I feel yeah, like we, I, we you got to be don't... careful with this one, Jess. Yeah, I know, I really do. So <laughs> I, gonna... I, I get a sense of what you're where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we talk more about how like like how important abortion is, uh, but mm-hmm. we don't talk. But like a lot of the a lot of the uh, the testimonials. Uh, the testimony that I saw around it was talking about like how abortion is necessary or it could like having a child could ruin this woman's life or something. Mm, mm, so we, mm. so we're talking, we're talking, but I, so of course the, the, the conversation can be about abortion because that's the topic at hand. I feel like we don't talk about, well, why does having that child ruin this person's life? It's a very real thing. If you have a, if like I, I mean, uh, there were points in my life where having a kid absolutely would have w- would have derailed my career prospects, earnings, my ability you, to build a life for myself. Yeah, I think sure. that's the simple and obvious and probably correct answer. Is they mean that you're not going to have enough time to work and to mm-hmm. and to do the necessary things to build a foundational, you know, a foundation for a good career because you're too busy taking care of a kid. Yeah. Right. That's what um, they're trying to say. So if you don't examine that uh, mm-hmm. and all the people who said that they absolutely needed to do that or they their lives would have been, you know, I am not judging that at all. I believe that that is true because this is the system we are all living in. I yes. don't doubt that having a kid at the wrong true. time can yeah. can ruin your life. We should spend a little time at least talking about like what kind of society did we create where it is so likely that your life could be ruined by mm-hmm. having children. Um like, why did we make it this difficult to navigate? And then we, and then the same group gets gets slammed. Why aren't millennials having kids? These selfish bastards. They're out killing dinner parties yeah. instead of having yeah. children. Well, I. And if you bring it up, Karine <laughs> Jean Pierre will just be like, "Remember, Biden extended the child care tax credit, so <laughs> that should be more than oh, enough." Well then, you. you know. Well then. <laughs> to throw a little bit of lip service at it but yeah fundamentally i mean they really don't do stuff to encourage because isn't like isn't uh even is it south korea or japan maybe it's south korea like they've really been trying to implement policies like that are sort of meant to encourage like more kids like 
you know, I don't know if that had to do, I think it was something like they wanted to make immigration easier to bring domestic servants in and nannies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. South Korea announced a thing to, uh, yeah. to up the payments, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like, I guess, UBI for childbearing people. Like, oh, just, so I, it's just straight up like financial paying. incentives. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't a, know if it's paid honestly, to like women to or paid to families. Uh, but either way, like, yeah. like a family that has more than, um, you know, X number of children, they will get financial assistance from the state. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's still new. I don't know if it's even been implemented yet, mm-hmm. but um, nobody knows if that's going to work. Uh, yeah. This is just an assumption that money issues are what's holding people back from having. Uh, it's definitely one of them. So mm-hmm. I guess we'll see. Um, here it's a, uh, we don't even have that. And we have a very persistent disdain for the concept of family, I think. Um, now this starts sounding like a, like, like a Bible thumping conservative or something. I focus on the family type or whatever. Mm, mm. Um, and I want to be careful about that too. I think they had, I think those guys, they were cynical, um, and they were cynical in their methods. Um, they were, they were outright, uh, they were dangerous and had, uh, had dangerous ideas for society and their policy proposals and, you know, the people they pushed it, they pushed, uh, into positions of power. But I think they were honest about the, the, the core feeling that modern life was antithetical to the concept of a strong family. And by extension, the concept of a, uh, of a, of a, of a thriving, uh, culture that isn't commercialized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, another, it's it, it, the, the way, uh, what you're getting at, I think that another really important element of this is dating, right? Mm. Like the actual mechanics of, uh, family formation begin uh-huh. with dating. Right. And, and what you said, you know, like when you said, okay, I don't want to sound like a Bible thumper. It's interesting you say that because I think a lot more people are coming, uh, into the fray and saying things like that meaning like um okay like here's an example by um uh michael is this a lady mikal mikal Leibowitz, and uh her op-ed in the new york times called dating is broken going retro could fix it and it's about how uh a lot of people are just very like just just you know they're 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 burned out by app dating culture and um, point. She points out that there's a slew of matchmaking companies that are sort of sorting out the love lives of the rich and famous and uh, articles that are declaring that matchmaking is hot again. And Netflix has shows like Indian matchmaking, married at first sight, etc. And she's saying like, there is a turn towards more traditional uh, quote courtship that people are finding that um, the sort of like marketplace driven um, world of app dating is broken and people are not happy about it because um, it's been stripped of some of the things that more traditional uh, courtship uh, offered. And, but it, it, it's interesting because it sounds like what she's saying is this is actually kind of like a top down thing that's happening. It's actually really wealthy and privileged people that are, that are starting to move towards more traditional uh, uh, forms of courtship, like matchmaking. And, you know, she, here she writes, things were different before the rise of online dating from the mid forties until 2013, 
Heterosexual Americans were most likely to meet their romantic partners through friends. Families were also big in the matchmaking business. As late as 1980, almost 20% of heterosexual couples met with their, uh, met with their help, uh, the matchmaker's help. Matchmakers, both formal and informal, continue to play a major role in connecting singles in plenty of more traditional communities. Uh, meeting, I think this is another uh, another way in which what we're talking about is starting to come true. Like, app dating seemed to be like the most sort of like freeing, marketplace driven, uh, almost like capitalistically optimized way uh of meeting people and people are starting especially on the high end of things are starting to find like look this is not what i want i don't want unlimited freedom and choice i want to meet someone to start a family with and here you're starting to get a bunch of art this is just like the most recent one from september 29th saying like there are people who are saying like let's just ditch this stuff and move back towards more quote trad models uh i found it interesting anyway that that this was starting to become a thing in the culture and uh what am i trying to say i guess i'm trying to say that uh that the old notion that you know we should do away with traditional family structures and abandon all that and move into like a purely market driven uh individually deterministic determined world is actually going out of fashion and it is becoming markedly middle class in nature and you're seeing that there is starting to be a middle class uh uh aspirational aspiration that's come that's going on where it's like no i want to i want to reprioritize family uh, and it's but 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 market the, the 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 economy, the property market, the employment market just have not it it they're, it's just not responsive to that, which I think is driving that aspirational feeling. And I think that the difficulty that companies are having in sort of do it like reimplementing return to office, for example, which I think is a mega th- issue right now, and we're just mm-hmm. starting to recognize how big of an issue this is is you give people two and a half, three years of being at home with their family, guess what? They don't want to come back. They don't want to lose that. Yeah, and oh, it, that's a good point. Yeah, and look how much disdain there is for that. They're fighting their employees on this. Yeah. Like their fam- yeah. like the employees' families are an impediment here. It's an inconvenience standing between the employers and get- getting what the-, the extent of what they want out of their employees. I, I listen to a lot of these tech podcasts these days. Uh, a lot of them are gloating over this economic downturn because uh, under, with the assumption that this means that, that employers will have more leverage over their employees to coerce them back into the office, work, you know, work longer, work harder, more efficiently, all that jazz. Yeah. And you see, you know, in, in, in you, you're seeing a lot of op-eds that are like sort of like pro-corporate, thinly veiled pro-corporate propaganda with like these, you know, workplace psychologists and stuff chiming in, like feeling burned out. It's not because, you know, it's not because of work. It's Maybe your kids are just lack. assholes. Yeah. It's because <laughs> you're at home too much with the kids and the feeling of burnout, you know, it's easily mistaken as burnout. What you're really, what you're really feeling is you miss your colleagues 
you you miss the you miss the social interactions of being at the office. I mean, they, they, you've seen these articles, right? Oh, yeah, saying yeah, like disgusting. we all we miss the social interaction, the social uh, experience of being in the office. And I'm like, dude, I've been in the office for a long time, a relatively long time. I know some people have been there for many decades, but like, I don't miss that shit at all. And I feel like they're gaslighting me into thinking that that's what I'm missing when I'm like, dude, I don't want that ever again. I don't want to ever go back into the office. It's not. And let me tell you, I think that it is definitely going to be um, a, and it it is now very much a class marker as to whether you get to be a white collar work from home type person or whether you got to, you've, you've got to commute and go into the office in person. Uh, And because by office, I'm including things like I work at the airport, I work in retail, I work uh, at a construction site. I work at a restaurant. I work in a services industry where my physical presence is required versus, I think, uh, what what I would say would be a more privileged, um, more park family adjacent class in our society that gets to stay at home and call the shots from a, a remote computer. Actually, that's that's funny you say that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I listen to the All In podcast. I know you do too. Yes. Um, there was there was one uh, fairly recently. I forget exactly when, but it was Chamath um, talking about return to the office. You know, like t- basically praising the companies. You know, uh, all you know shifting back towards making employees. You know, the return to office. He was doing this podcast from a boat in the Mediterranean, and he and then mm-hmm. he opens the pod by saying like all like five of his kids. He got all five of his kids yep. uh, together, and they're all sailing around the Mediterranean. And mm-hmm. then talks about how how great it is that that Facebook and Google are are both forcing employees back into the office because that means that the in- industry as a whole is going to start pulling employees back in. Like that's that's like that was like the peak of that kind of that kind of attitude here. Yeah. You're yeah. tooling around the Mediterranean. Your fucking yacht, like the podcast, got interrupted because the his like crew was trying to park. I don't I don't know what the word is. Like mm-hmm. park the yacht, and it 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 was complicated. <laughs> so you, you like it, hear like like radios go off in the in the background. He's like, oh yeah, sorry guys, they're trying to they're trying to oh yeah, berth the yacht, put the <laughs> oh put the yacht in berth, whatever the fuck, park the shit. Um, it's loud, and he's got uh-huh. five kids running around on the boat. There's a brilliant, you know, there's a brilliant documentary uh, by Rahul Jain, J-A-I-N, uh, uh-huh. called Machines, and um, it's 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 a great documentary. It's it's a it just it's a camera that goes inside a textile factory in India, and just sort of you know just it's a roving camera documentary, and um, it's it you know it's very class oriented, right? Talking about the division between the bosses and the and the labor. And the reason it's good is for this one particular interview. It's really more of a monologue than an interview. Like, there's no interviewer. It's just, it, there is an interviewer, but the interviewer is cut out. So it becomes like a monologue. And it's of the boss, you know, the owner of the company. And I've always wondered, why, what is the deal between bosses and workers? Like, what, why do bosses have such disdain and animosity towards their workers? Because I'm not a boss. I don't own a company. So I don't know why. I can't relate to what seems to be, like, a really deep-down disdain for these people. Where does that come from? And this, this monologue provided a, a kind of answer because he was saying, this company started out as a family business. And so he said, when, my, when we had a problem... 
it was everybody's problem. We all shared in that problem. Everyone would put down everything to solve this problem because this was a family business and this company was our house. Like this factory was our home. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. So he, in his mind, has a strong uh, has a has a strong association of this company with his family life. And he said, so, but now his company has grown to the point where it's become this sort of corporation. And he says, I come, you know, he comes in here. He's like, I come in here. And instead of seeing a bunch of brothers and uncles and, 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 and cousins and whatever, and, and every time there's a problem, your problem is my problem. And my problem is your problem. We're all in this together. He's like, I'll just see a bunch of strangers who every Friday, Demand that I cut them a check, and if I don't, they're going to burn the place down. So, you know, you tell me how am I supposed to feel about these people? And I, I thought that that was just very interesting glimpse into the psychology of uh, of bosses. And when you brought up Chamath, I thought of this because it's like, yeah, they don't see the separation between work and family because they own it. Mm-hmm. It is their family, right? Yeah. A lot of these businesses are family owned, and then. Chamath is so rich where he's like, you know, my, my family is just like a, a, an aspect of my overall life where I just kind of work is with me all the time. I, wherever I go, work follows me. It follows me onto the boat, in the, onto the yacht, mm-hmm. right? But for, for real workers, they, work doesn't follow you around. You follow work and you don't bring your kids with you to work. <laughs> You, know, like, you have to hide them. I mean, that's a, that's, them, a yeah. that's an ongoing uh, that's an ongoing uh, complaint of uh, women who who mm-hmm. you know women who are in the workforce, right? Uh, this disdain for families gets doubled down when we're talking about working mothers. Mm, you are supposed to, true. for the most part, pretend that you have no family when you are at work, right? Like yeah. we just kind of understand this. You're supposed there is nothing that should be able to intrude on on you serving your company, right? That's what you're getting paid for. So when we're talking about kids, that's this is why women get discriminated against in the hiring process because the minute they find out you have kids, um, then you know that's one more thing that's going to make this person a, a less efficient worker, probably more likely to 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 ditch work on time. Um, won't stay, you know, less likely to do, to go over and beyond things like that. Less, less, uh, likely to be exploitable basically yeah. because they have this family there. Can uh, we, can you're seen we... as, you're seen as less capable of a worker. If you, if you have a family as a woman too, that if you are a mother, that you're, you're emotional, you're, uh, you're incompetent, you're less competent than, uh, the women who don't have children and the men. Hmm. You know what's interesting about that is I, I think there's almost an opposite uh, or maybe complementary uh, thing going on with with men where a lot of like male bosses like to see their subordinates have children. Why? Because it makes you guys that, look more reliable, more stable. Well, yes, because you're seen as being more captive. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not a family you're, to provide for. You're not going to Yeah, you're nailed to down. Go. You're nailed yeah. down, right? You can't you, – you're, you, like an unattached guy with no kids is much more likely to be like, fuck it, I'm doing it my own way or I don't give a shit. Like I don't really need this job anyway, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but the guy with kids is like, oh, my God, I've got fucking bills. I've got tuition. I've got this. I've got that. I've got a two-hour commute. You know, uh, I'm just happy to have this job. 
and so they do, you know, ki- kids and family are seen almost as, um, as, as sort of not hostages, but like collateral. <laughs> it's like collateral yeah. to prove, you know, to, to hold, uh, and, and, and as is to be like, yeah, I'm definitely going to get motivated, uh, work out of this guy because he's got kids. He's got no choice. Yeah, the calculation is all about what kind of a worker this makes this person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not necessarily, uh, that's not necessarily, like, this is a business need, right? As an employer, you do have, you should be evaluating people based on what kind of workers you believe they will be. Just, if you take a step back, you see how dysfunctional it is. Like, when it's a it's a father, uh, a, married, a married man with kids, uh, that fact uh, makes him seem like a better worker because he'll show up on time. He'll do the work. He'll put his head down, cash checks and, uh, and, and be grateful for a woman who is a mother that makes her look like a worse worker because the assumption kind of is that the women will do the bulk of the childcare, which is a fair assumption, honestly. Uh, and mind you, family. yeah, mind you, we're talking only about nuclear family, which is the only kind yes. of family that's really recognized at all within, uh, within the corporate yeah, system. forget about it. If you're if forget you're talking about like family. nobody gives a shit about that. Like I oh shit, I need to take a day off to take my mom to the doctor or something. Yeah, fuck. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, like and this is like this is not even just the work world, like this is like the whole of society is constructed. I was thinking about I keep thinking about this now. Like my parents are getting older and like the commitment that I have with them is they are never setting foot in a home, right? They are never mm-hmm. going to institutional care. Mm-hmm. That also doesn't mean that I relish the thought of sharing like one little house with them, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is like like I always wanted to like buy a fairly uh, like a, a like a fairly decent plot of land that has a house and like can you can construct like a little like a little mother in law unit in the back or something, right? Um, that's the dream. It's very expensive to do that, right? To be able to be more pro social, pro family takes so much money so much effort it's the easy way out uh to just to go along with the flow that's what you're supposed to do so everything is constructed to treat family as a as uh optional and disposable like you have to keep justifying um you have to you have to fight hard to justify why you want why you value your family at every step and you have to be willing to pay the premium for it too yeah it's Wait, only... before be, mm-hmm. before uh, we go on, can you check, sorry, uh, can you check, are you still recording on your end? Because on my end, it says you're offline, but uh, I don't Yeah, know. mine is recording. Okay, it'll probably, it'll probably just upload at the okay. end. Anyway, uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Um, nah, that was just, yeah. it's a personal, a, a personal rant. I, just trying to find, like, a housing situation that'll accommodate, like, me, uh, my folks, you know, allow, allow a little bit more, like, family compound-ish living. Mm. It's so hard. It's so hard. Because nothing is, hard. is constructed around that. So, like, of course, like, of course I'm drawn to, like, these stories of wealthy families that can, that like, Chamath and his yachts that can fit, like, five kids and, like, you know... 10 adults or or some shit right Mm. they can all live together uh they can all live as a family like that's our society is kind of constructed now to only view that kind of family formation as a legitimate as a legitimate family because he can afford it i think that was the i think that was the appeal of like italian mafia stories mm -hmm. like the sopranos but like of course the godfather and if yeah, you ever read yeah. The Godfather, it's a little bit different than the books, um, but they, they go into length about how Don Corleone had constructed in Long Island like this, I think it was Long Island, 
had constructed like this whole family compound where every like every son had a house on the compound and they all lived within basically their own subdivision. And, and it was this sort of like family dynasty fantasy that I think is, um, you know, I think that people were drawn to Italian immigrants on base on the basis of these stories because Italians were known to have like, you know, that were, were a bit anti-assimilationist compared to, uh, you know, maybe like Germans or something or, or other European immigrants. They're, they're a bit more anti-assimilation in that they kept sort of family primacy uh, at the top. And, and so I think we were driven towards Italian stories like The Godfather where uh, they built fam- family dynasties and that their, their ceiling was much higher because they never gave up on that. And maybe there was a bit of, uh, you know, wistfulness uh, among the American public to be like, wow, look at this. This is a very different life. And I, and I think the lesson that I've drawn from that, I don't know, uh, as we should wrap this up a little bit, but uh, the lesson that I'm drawing is like, I think that the mistake that a lot of America, that a lot of people make is in terms of like their, you know, our tendency to um, want to pursue class ascension. Uh, is this extreme eagerness to uh, follow or, or really like be jealous of and, per, and, and try to obtain the material aspects of the wealthy. So in Shamath's case, like we want to be on a yacht anchored in the Mediterranean somewhere, right? But we overlook the social privileges of the wealthy which is that he's with his five kids, mm-hmm. right? And you can have that. You can't have both. Mm-hmm. But in fact, you probably can only, you can't have the yacht, okay? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you, what I'm saying is that we uh, tend to, or I, yeah, I'm speaking for myself probably, but like, I think we do tend to look at the rich and, and as middle-class people or whatever, get dazzled by the material aspects of their privilege without understanding that the true privilege that they contain is really a social privilege, which is they get to be a family at all times. And that, you know, if you, if you think of that as the ultimate privilege, then I do think that it kind of opens up uh, the possibilities a bit here to be like, wait, I don't, you know, ultimately the thing that you're chasing is the ability to exist, uh, to have real, like a real social life. A real family so I, life. I think I could take that one step further, if I may. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, like that that college admission scandal, right? Yeah. Where it's a whole bunch of like, uh, like. Uh, you like mean where second- they're buying people off? Like buying, buying, yeah, away. buying admissions mm-hmm. to like USC of all places, <laughs> right? Like so, <laughs> spending like spending like a lot of money uh, to just buy buy their kids' acceptances, uh-huh. um, and it, part of it was kind of ridiculous because you know you go one rung higher, right, and you mm-hmm. get. You get the like people like the Kushners, right? Mm-hmm. You fucking just buy the building, your name's on it. Everyone knows why you're there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to hide it. You don't have you to hide that door. you're. You just walk through the front door. You own that front door. You built that front door. Yeah. You endowed that door. Yeah. Uh, once you get to the top, like it's accepted. Of course, you are going to be acting in in your family. Your family is going to act in your interest, and you are going to you are going to repay the favor. It's mm-hmm. a dynasty at that point. Mm-hmm. There is no hiding and you don't need to hide. For the rest of us, it's stuff like, nepo- like nepotism yeah. has a sting mm-hmm. for us. 
Not yeah. for them. Yeah. Right, right. That's a very Bong Joon-ho parasite kind of thing that's going on there. Yeah, being right? called it's like, like the, the super wealthy Kushner guy is like, yep, I, I totally, my dad bought me in. And the middle class asshole is like, my dad bought me in, I'm going to jail. You know, like that. Yeah. My, my like, parents went I'm to not... jail. Your father is the fucking hero. Or you have to feel uh, shame you know. for being like being called yeah. the affirmative action hire or something has a particular sting to it. And it's not like thing. the guy whose uh, whose last name is on the on the building that he, yeah. <laughs> that he's in, you know? Yeah. Like there's point. there's no sting to that. Um yeah. That you know, is yep, yep. Yep. I mean, I I don't know. This is I guess we've been talking about this in a in a lot of disparate little threads here and there, but it's kind of coming together, and I'm feeling really happy about it. Yeah, it was a good discussion. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, okay, mm-hmm. just just to completely sure. like tie, like just throwing throwing in another thread here, um, a callback to a a a, a pretty old pod that we did um, mm-hmm. with Red Canary Song. For new people and people who might have forgotten, Red Canary Song is an activist organization uh, located in in uh, Queens, New York. They're in Queens. I believe so. Okay. Or all uh, over New York City. I don't know. If all over. Okay. For an organization that supports the rights of uh, sex workers, primarily Asian, um, in uh, in New York. And one story that uh, that one of the girls was telling really stuck out to me. And she was talking about how the bulk of the the clientele uh, she worked with was actually like Latin American like laborers, mm-hmm. um, who were who were basically here as just mobile labor. Like the the purest distillation of what we're talking about here is like these are people literally cut off from any family tie. They are here literally to do like hard labor with their hands, right? They're not allowed to have families here. They are completely cut off. Um, and that was the bulk of their clientele, which is which runs counter to the social like narrative we have about sex work, which is it's like it's wealthy people. Like, this is actually a, anti. It's a it's an anti-family um, industry in a sense, right? Because the this narrative is like a, a married man who cheats with a hooker and destroys his family when he gets caught or something, right? Like the mm-hmm. like. Uh, like this is a destruct like this is a presence that's destructive to the notion of a strong family uh strong social bonds it's antisocial basically and she's basically flipping the script a little saying that for these this completely overlooked class of people um what you're seeing is actually kind of pro-social in a way mm-hmm. these are people who will have very social who have needs as human beings that are being completely disregarded by the uh, the society that they find themselves in right now completely cut off from human contact basically uh finding a little uh like human comfort with with sex workers another reviled class of people in this society hmm. um so I, I, it just kind of stuck out as like what um, as another kind of little thread in uh, in what we think of as like a pro-social, pro-family kind of thing. Um, like, I would never have been able to come up with the, that kind of, I would never have thought this about the sex industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it kind of reinforces that, that how much of what we think about the institutions in our lives is entirely dictated either by suppressing like family instinct in some and... Uh, and like almost fetishizing it in others, right? So like the the white uh, heterosexual middle class like um, um, family is still the hegemonic legitimate family in this country. Anything else requires a shit ton of justification and money 
uh, to be able to buy into it. I mean, just look at the pit. I mean, that's totally true. It's still, I mean, look at the pinnacle of Anglo society is literally a family and their job is literally just to be a family. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, of and, the and, British and royal family. entire nation yeah. uh, is defined by them viewing themselves as supporting characters in a single family's drama. A single you know? family's familiness. Like, yeah. It gets insane. It's like I don't yeah. know why it comes over on this side of the pond here too. Like yeah. headlines being like, like, well, because we want to be a little... part. Because people want that drama. They want to be a part of that drama. Oh, we got our own yeah. too here. The Kardashians. Kardashian. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we have we have these celebrity is often about um, family drama and like nepotism in the entertainment industry is totally accepted. Mm-hmm. seen as a good thing to be um to you know for a megastar to have their child fast tracked into megastardom is seen as a normal and natural thing that we should all support and we are supposed to have warm human feelings for these people who are engaged in in essentially what's commerce mm-hmm. and uh you know same thing with the royal family it's like they're, they're you're supposed to have warm familial feelings for what is essentially politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that seems to be, I don't know, like there is a sort of, um, there is a sense that there, it, it's almost like the, uh, you know, the economic life, modern economic life creates a hole for these feelings, for these, these human desire for family connections and family drama and stuff. And I do think it is, it is not always just about having people, but it's also about having drama in your life, stories, things that are happening, right? Well, a reason that propels the plot forward more than, Oh, I have a, I have a deadline for a work project on Thursday. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to have a life story, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's why we, I think we so crave and turn to uh, things like the royal family and things like uh, celebrity gossip and stuff is because we are filling the hole that economic life created for us. And so in a way, but we, we fill it through a return to um, commerce and politics. So we're just filling that hole with the thing that created it in the first place. And it, it's self-perpetuating. It's not going to, and it's not going to work. And it's, not, it, it's a never ending Sisyphean thing that you're doing, you know? So um, one is I, I, I would definitely think like people should break that loop. And two, you know, stop being mesmerized by the material aspects of this and stop making having a family life contingent upon there being, um, like a, a like a certain level of material uh, achievement before you can have that. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think we're, we're talking about family. I think that's the heart of it. But I think we can expand it a little bit further. Social relations that don't necessarily have um, a direct like reward, mm-hmm. like tangible reward necessarily. I think there's human needs that can't be quantified. And in in uh, in like dollars and cents. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, like. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the red pill and shit like that, right? And maybe this is a critique of uh, online dating um, and maybe modern friendships too. A lot of it is about basically burnishing your own resume, 
how does this person make me look better? Or how does this person benefit me in some sense, right? So when you're talking about like people shifting, like not wanting dating apps and moving to matchmaking, part of me is also like, well, I think dating apps were just too honest. We weren't, we weren't ready to be this honest about what we wanted out of dating and marriage, Mm -hmm. especially in a shifting definition of uh, what marriage means to a person. Mm -hmm. Like we've completely overburdened marriage as a social institution. Um, at the same time that we're supposed to kind of relate to it as this all-encompassing thing that's supposed to solve all your problems. It's not going to happen. And I don't really think the shift to matchmaking is going to solve that because we don't have a stable definition of what marriage is right now. Oh, no, I totally agree. I think a lot of this stuff is not it is really more of an expression of of desire and aspiration rather than actually solving or getting to the real heart of the matter. But it is indicative, I think, of what people are thinking. I think it's indicative of what people are thinking and feeling out there. I do, yeah. I think the response, it's a definite uh, gap in in the, it's definitely a problem people are having. I just don't know if we're being completely honest about what the gripe is. Yeah. Much less uh, do we have a solution for it. I don't think we're there yet. No, but at least we're starting to identify the problem. I do think that 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 is happening. But um, anyway... If we pull it back to Asians for a second, I think we sure. can wrap this up pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Have you heard the term amoral familism? No. Amoral feminism? No, no. Amoral familism. Family. I've never even heard the term familism. It's kind of fascinating. Um, so mm-hmm. it's a sociologist um, in the 50s. I think his name was like Edward Banfield, I think, who did like anthropology in, in, uh, in southern Italy. Mm-hmm. It's basically he's just he's coming from a very you know posh uh, Anglo uh, upper crust American context and studying these families in uh, southern Italy, not particularly wealthy, just examining like village dynamics in southern mm-hmm. I- Italy. And he came up with this term amoral familism to kind of critique the social dynamics. What of uh, what he saw is basically people there are completely oriented to the the interests of the nuclear family. That's the central organizing unit for village life. Mm -hmm. So um, very little social progress happens in this region because everyone's kind of pocket watching everyone else to protect their own interests. And by their own, they mean their families. They're all little mafias, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like clannishness. Mm -hmm. Clannishness. Um, And people will like... So we talk about like like uh, Yellowstone or Succession, like people being willing to do bad things on behalf of family for the family. Yeah, for the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Game of Thrones is about this. Uh, I guess yeah, a lot of our media has been about this. A lot of the stuff we love the most is about this stuff. It's dynastic drama, you know. And it feels right because it, it, I think instinctively it does feel correct if you're willing to invest literally like your life into it. What is more worth worth it than your own family, right? Yeah. I'm not doing this to get an Excel spreadsheet done on time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but he's basically criticizing this, right? He's saying like people are overly focused on the nuclear family at the expense of the greater good. And that this blinds them to the possibilities of greater social cohesion, social organization. Mm-hmm. So he's, so he's kind of advocating for what kind of sounds like the modern liberal cosmopolitan perspective. Sure. People and when was he doing detach. this? Uh, the 50s. I yeah, that makes he, a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, like so exactly yeah. that post-war year. So I, uh-huh. I, 
it's it, it's not he, a surprise. He, he probably why took went off. to southern Italy and was like, "People, you're never going to get to the moon if you're going to be like this." Yeah, and he's contrasting <laughs> with like northern Italy, which had factories, more right, mobile, right. like more labor mobilization, more dynamism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he's literally criticizing these families in southern Italy because the kids mm-hmm. don't go anywhere. They just they yeah. just do what their dads did. Uh, the 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 girls marry early and then you know form clan relations and then everyone just 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 stays right there and just they're just obsessed about the family like what the fuck is wrong with them and so he's basically saying like the the proper way for society to to mature and develop is to break apart this quote sure. amoral familism to sure. make people more independent um, more outward thinking less likely to become provincial and mm-hmm. uh, completely myopic. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think, uh, think apolitically, you know, asocially, you know, dispassionately, basically. And what what is the connection to Asians here? Um, the connection here is is the the uh, the kind of media that gets promoted in our circles. It's Asian kind of American? yeah. I think uh, a lot of a lot of without calling it immoral familism, I think a lot of people are criticizing their families for being too uh, too clannish. Oh, my mm. mom just wants me to be a doctor so I can make a lot of, I can make I money and, and then and then pay for her retirement. Oh my god, oh, right. It's well, just, now these days, uh, these days, a lot of stuff that I hear is like, you know, I my, you know, my parents have these very like, you know, outdated social beliefs about gay people, black people. You know, uh, basically, their social attitudes aren't quite modern. Yeah. I think it's something that is said a lot about Asian first-gen immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, very obsessed with material uh, conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, I just want to do art, but my mom wanted me to become an engineer or a doctor or something. Yeah. Yep. Um, my mom, my mom gave me dumplings for lunch without caring that all my friends have lunchables. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, why are they not? Why are they not integrating? Why are they not assimilating? Basically, you know, get this. It goes so far as to see. Uh, I've I've seen on social media. My my wife has pointed this out to me, where um, people have there are like websites that are that do like deal you know like deal hunting you know online like oh yeah for sales. And some people will be like, yo, you know, like this, this happened and then Amazon actually made a mistake. So I saved this much. And someone will be like, okay, so you just ripped off Amazon. Have you no shame? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, what? Ripped off Amazon? Yeah. Have you no shame? You know, it's sort of, um, yeah, this, this, uh, I, I don't know if that quite counts as what you're talking about, but I, I see that connection in where it's like, where, um, there is a real horror at the uh, at the at the at the sort of like self-preservation instinct of people mm-hmm. to be like, dude, you've you've got to think about the well-being of Amazon here. Where you're like, okay, this is absurd that you <laughs> that you think I that mean, we should care about Amazon, but whatever. Like fandoms, I think uh-huh. can can uh, like I think this instinct is all like there was a liberal there was a liberal social experiment, right? Can we can we take this quote amoral familistic instinct out of people, right? Can we make them truly dispassionate and self like can we, self uh, self created, right? Mm-hmm. Are people blank slates basically like pretending that people are blank slates and you can imprint upon them this dispassionate, worldly, global, um, like viewpoint that uh, that uh, that they then uh, deploy, probably for their employers, right? I, and I, I think, think that's you, I think you could do it short term and under specific conditions like extreme growth, 
but mm-hmm. I think now we're past that period of growth. And I think that the, uh, the sort of like the, the sort of, um, uh, uh, lures and, um, promises that we were all chasing, you know, that, that, that doesn't seem as attractive as it used to be, or even realistic, you know, like, when you're mm-hmm. just straight up told by your boss or your boss's boss at Google that you've got to wait at least this many promotions before you can afford a house, uh, people are kind of like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> and like, what, what the fuck so, am I supposed to do until then? Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Commute your ass two hours. Have yeah. five roommates in Palo Alto. I don't know. If... Like, like, don't even think about Figure a start it out. home. Bro, I have a yeah. PhD in computer science, okay? But they're like, well, no, like, well, no. fuck you. <laughs> well, okay, well, then it'll be a solid six more, eight, eight more years before you can even think about doing a starter home here you know people are like you know fuck this so yeah yeah so yeah so i think a like this instinct doesn't go away you just get it perverse right so i think like toxic fandoms kind of are a one way people find a way to relieve this instinct right some place to displace all this uh, pent up loyalty i guess you would you would have to call it right people want to be loyal to something want to believe and invest themselves uh in something they will find a target for that for sure uh and i and I, and i and i think that we're starting to realize that making your job that thing is probably not a great idea it's not it's not a great idea and there's no there's no alternative there's no way to like breed it out of people either it's gonna find and really all pretending that you can just makes it so that bad actors can profit off of this instinct people are making money hand over fist on running basically cults of gullible people vulnerable gullible people who want to invest something of themselves into a into a thing bigger than uh, than what they feel life offers at the moment yeah yeah which is a grift that i'm thinking about getting myself into because it's pr- lucrative you know, instead God, of, ta- instead so of much talking money. shit about the about the grift, let's just do the grift. Oh, you'd be so good at it. I would endorse that 100%. There's so much money in it. Oh, my God. Oh. Identify oh. the psychological needs and then provide easy but expensive answers. It's like, it's like the ripest pimple ever, yeah. just begging to be popped and money falls out. Uh, yeah. You have. This to is do definitely it. close to the core of the crisis that I think is happening in American society. Is mm-hmm. is this is this is is the feeling like, you know, there's like we we are starved for for a life like a life of, of like a plot in our life. You know, I think pe- that's why more and more people are becoming completely consumed by media. By mm-hmm. by the drama that happens, not just the movies, but the drama around the movies, mm-hmm. the the corporate intrigue around the movies, you know, like the 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 off camera stuff that happens, you know, and sports too, you know, the off the the stuff that happens off of the field or off the court, mm-hmm. and we get enmeshed and enraptured by these stories because our own lives are not providing enough interesting drama in fact our language treats that as a negative thing like my life there's too much drama in it. yeah you know yeah and yet at the same time we crave and consume drama because i actually don't think we have enough drama we, we don't have enough drama uh, or or maybe the only drama that we have is always bad you know our no... milestones suck yeah 
I mean, I know a friend who who fell into a pretty deep depression, like mm-hmm. real go getter, um, mm-hmm. like knocked everything out the park, like basically by twenty seven, right? Mm-hmm. The multiple the multiple degrees from great universities, um, promising career, uh, marriage, and kids, like yeah. all before twenty seven. Homeowner, a woman or a man, a woman. Mm-hmm. And then, like, after, like I didn't hear from her after a while after she had her second kid. Like, mm-hmm. her family was complete. And then, like, and I just suddenly stopped hearing from her. And then she came out, like, yeah, I fell into a really bad depression because it was like, in, like I was like, yeah, and like, okay, uh, sure. What was going on? Like, a, a postpartum or bad, like, yeah. you know, marriage kind of frame. What's going on? I'm like, no, th- that was fine. It's just, I realized I was 28 and, like, I had no more, like, milestones until death. Hmm. Like I, I, I'm paying so a mortgage were, it, for thirty it, years. So like, there were, she was she was just sort of like it was. It's almost like vertigo. <laughs> it's like I yeah. can see I can like, see and, the end like, of the tunnel. From super here. like I knew we were in college. Like super mm. like one of those like machine like people. Like you, you just didn't know when she slept. Basically, mm-hmm. like always on top of it. Always like crushing it and everything. Working super hard, knocking everything out the out the water. You know, like. Like super smart, you know, absolutely, you know, dedicated, hardworking, all of that, and just absolutely crushed all her goals that she had set for herself. And then she she got to the finish line basically, and it was like, oh fuck, now what? Yeah. There yeah. there aren't there aren't that many like so she kind of like the like uh, she got to chapter two, and the rest of are all kind of blank pages, or like she, you already kind of know the script till the yeah. end. Mm-hmm. So there may, and, you know. it seems like there wasn't a lot of like uh, humanness in 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 her life or something like yeah like her life is basically defined more by like what the kids need uh, servicing a mortgage um, mm-hmm. things like that um, like she ended up going back to school getting like another PhD or something mm. like and just changed careers it's kind of like career hobby Almost like very successful. Yeah. yeah, to kind of just keep stacking it up, keep adding chapters to this book, um, and trying to trying to kind of keep the dopamine going with a little bit of right. adrenaline. Like mm-hmm. she was a, definitely an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. Um, just modern adult life doesn't offer that much adrenaline. Mm-hmm. It's a bad kind. Like, oh god, my huge ass mortgage. I I took out a variable interest mortgage and interest rate. The Fed's jacking up the interest rate. That's a bad kind of adrenaline, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, all right, great, great talk. I thought, uh, yeah, that 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 pretty much sums up. I think what we've been talking about lately. Mm-hmm. So, should we uh, should we call it there? I think so. All right, um, just as always, great talking to you. And Likewise. again, apologies for the uh, the late episode, but uh, yeah, I think um, hope we made it worth your while. I, I felt kind of. Mm-hmm. I haven't been feeling good about just doing off the cuff like opinions. I felt like this one we were actually like pressing a thesis and we brought in some good stuff to support yeah, it. Yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't want people to get the feeling like, you know, we're 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 um we're sort of just like winging it now. I do think like we're thinking about other shit these days mm-hmm. and so, starting to figure out, you know, how to how to approach these things, but um yeah, this is a good talk. Yep. So stay tuned. More to come. All right. All right. This is your episode for this week. We'll see you next week. Uh, uh, Same that channel. All right. Bye.